We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone. Welcome into the Guilty as Charged podcast YouTube channel. I'm Alex, uh, here doing bolt breakdowns. So this is kind of the main home of where you'll find me on the channel now since I won't be on the weekly streams and, and podcasts and things of that nature every you know week or two or three times a week. But I will be on sometimes, and uh, I will still be doing these bolt breakdowns. Um, and I wanted to kind of talk about an article I wrote for Boltbeat and sort of expand on it in more detail, given that we are entering Super Bowl week. Uh, in talking about the Chiefs and the Eagles and sort of what the Chargers can do as a playoff team who is trying to reach the contender tier. What can be learned from those two franchises in particular from how they've been running, right? You could even extend this, I think, to the Bengals and Niners a little bit who um, came up as the conference finalists in their respective conferences. But basically, what can a team like the Chargers, I would throw the Jaguars, the Giants, the Vikings in this tier, these good teams who are trying to get to that next tier of the contenders in the league, right? And and sort of what we can learn from the Chiefs and the Eagles and how they're run in that way to, to sort of get there. So um, I wanted to talk about just a couple key points, um, you know, and we can kind of expand on that and go in all different kinds of directions. But, uh, you know, the first thing that I want to talk about is uh, GM Howie Roseman and and how he's run the Eagles and sort of the things that Telesco can learn there. Um, now, Telesco is never going to be Howie Roseman in terms of how he operates, right? They have two very different, uh, you know, personas. They have two very different ideologies. Um, but I do think there are some things that the Chargers can kind of implement this offseason and learn from. One is the Howie Roseman art of trading down in the draft. Uh, and Tom Telesco, pretty staunchly against trading down in his career, has only traded up in the first round. Um, and even if you look at something that I, I mentioned in this article, you look at the trade for Khalil Mack, the Chargers sent a second and a sixth round pick for Khalil Mack. As people remember, to get that sec the sixth round pick back that they traded, Tom Telesco actually shipped two of his seventh round picks to trade up and go get that sixth round pick back that he traded away before. So that tells you where Telesco's head is at, right? He he views draft picks as players, right? Not so much as capital or as rookie contracts that he can take advantage of, but it's just kind of looking at who are the guys that I can get on this team that make a difference. And there's positives and negatives to that theory, right? Because 
when it comes to what Roseman, you know, was able to do with the Eagles, you basically, you know, have off seasons combined of moves that have built this Eagles Super Bowl contender, right? Um, traded back from the pick that Miami used for Jalen Waddle, picked up an extra first from Miami, got Devonta Smith, and then traded that extra first he got from Miami for Jordan Davis the very next year, right? So there's clearly, right, if you end up with two players instead of one or two high-level elite contributors instead of one, right, there's an advantage to trading back in that regard. Obviously, you have to hit on your picks, and no GM is going to hit on 100% of their picks, as someone like Howie Roseman would tell you himself um, in, you know, selecting Jalen Rager and selecting J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, right? So, but the, the thing about trading back is you just accumulate more capital, you accumulate more resources, and you look at the the trade with the Saints, right? Um, Howie Roseman trades back with the Saints, uses the pick that he gets from the Saints in that trade back in the first round on A.J. Brown, and because he traded back with the Saints, then it has this you know path to a top 10 pick next year, or I guess this year in the draft, 2023, the Eagles will be picking 10th um, because of that trade back with the Saints where they traded up. So there's just a very beneficial aspect to um you know trading back in the first round and tom telesco has never done it um and and it doesn't even just go for the first round like i said later rounds of the draft if you have the chance to get two fourth round picks for a third round pick if you have the chance to get two fifth round picks for a fourth round pick right you can kind of go through the rounds and, and think about this theory but i think trading down is just a very beneficial aspect to team building and i'll put up a graph that arjun actually um, you know, shared kind of on the screen uh, right now as soon as I'm able to present it. But it kind of goes back to how the Eagles, you know, constructed this whole thing, right? Um, let me just put this graph from Arjun up on the screen where, you know, I think there's a lot of talk about comparing Hertz and Tua and Burrow and Herbert because they're in the same class. But the big difference is how their GMs and their management has built around all of these quarterbacks and how the franchises have built around them because, the Eagles uh, have the top non-quarterback war of the four teams that have been, you know, uh, assembling around their quarterback since 2020. Of course, when we talk about Herbert uh, and non-quarterback war for the Chargers this year, that's a metric that's adversely affected by the amount of attrition and the injuries that the Chargers experienced this year. No way around it, right? Your non-quarterback war is going to be low when DeAndre Carter is, is your starting wide receiver some games and Keenan Allen and uh, Mike Williams miss a lot of time. You know, they, they had the shuffling on the offensive line, right? So injuries are something that affects non-quarterback war on the defensive side of the ball. Then you talk about Joey Bosa missing the amount of time that he did, which actually is in this metric, right? Non-quarterback war also applies to the defensive side of the ball and the Chargers experienced a lot of injuries there as well, right? But still, right, even considering injuries, right, there's just, you know, and this goes back to trading down, this goes back to kind of getting these contract steals that Howie Roseman has been able to do, like the Kaiser White signing uh, for, for one year, essentially a minimum of $3 million a year, that he's just been able to kind of build this, you know, team around Jalen Hurts to the point where Jalen Hurts hasn't had to carry it, right? Sort of like Justin Herbert, uh, maybe to a lesser extent Joe Burrow, right? You know, Jalen Hurts in this debate around how good he is is partially because he doesn't have to carry the team, as as this graphic kind of indicates. Now, we'll, we'll see what happens in the Super Bowl and what happens when the Eagles eventually have to pay Jalen Hurts, just as when the Chargers have to pay Justin Herbert and when the you know Bengals have to pay Joe Burrow, um, and how that changes you know this graphic. But 
really, um, this kind of goes back to just what I was talking about in this article over here. Um, and when you really think about it, I, I do think trading back is one of those resources where, yeah, you have to hit on your picks still, of course, to, for trading back to work. That's part of trading back. But at the same time, it, it just can be so beneficial to your team in terms of getting that capital and putting as much non-quarterback war, um, as Arjun kind of described, around Herbert as possible, which is going to be important, especially when you're going to be paying Herbert around the neighborhood of $50, $60 million AAV at some point, right? Um, the, the other thing that I think is is difference between Howie Roseman and Tom Telesco is sunk cost fallacy. Now, I will give uh, Telesco some credit here, right? Because really, when you kind of talk about some moves that were anti-Telescoian this year, as I would describe it, one of them was cutting Jerry Tillery, right? Because I think in previous years, Tom Telesco probably would have just been like, look, we're going to ride Jerry Tillery till his contract's over, till the end of the season, and then part ways. But obviously, the Chargers defense got better as soon as they cut Jerry Tillery, and it was actually a huge uh, reason that the Chargers, you know, kind of improved as a team. And that is a decision that I don't know if the old Telesco would have made, right, in terms of cutting a player just midseason and cutting your losses there. I think that there is a version of Telesco prior to this all-in year that maybe just sticks around with Tillery for the rest of the year, maybe even picks up his fifth-year option. Uh, The Chargers did not pick up Jerry Tillery's fifth-year option, obviously, and he's one of the, I think, the first uh, member of the Telesco first-round draft class to not have their fifth-year option picked up. Right, so there, there's a bit of an understanding of sunk cost fallacy there, but still, in, in when you talk about strategies, right, Howie Roseman, when it comes to you know trading Carson Wentz, drafting Jalen Hurts, he's not afraid to do the unpopular move in the short term that gives the Eagles a lot of benefit in the long term, and that's something that we still haven't seen quite from Tom Telesco yet. Um, and then you can talk about you know void years and restructuring. Um, this is actually something that how he did with uh, Kaiser White, as I said. Kaiser White actually has four void years on his contract uh, on the one-year deal he signed for cap reasons, right? There's a lot of maneuvering going around there. So just to kind of summarize this point, I, I don't think that Howie Roseman or Tom Telesco will ever be Howie Roseman, but there are some lessons to be learned there in terms of tactful aggressiveness, getting draft capital, trading down, and assembling a team around a quarterback, uh, or around a rookie wage quarterback that you can kind of learn from that. Um, but, of course, my second point, Justin Herbert will not be a rookie wage quarterback too much longer, right? Obviously, his extension that he gets either this offseason or next offseason is is going to be expensive with a, around, you know, what most analysts project as 50 million AAV, 50 to 60 million AAV, right? We don't know exactly what it's going to be. Um, I I talked about the Chiefs extension for Patrick Mahomes um, that they signed in 2020, and that's a huge thing I think the Chargers can potentially learn from and apply. And I'll talk about kind of what I mean um, by sharing this screen. Uh, This is quarterback cap hits in 2023. Uh, So if you obviously look at it, you see that Deshaun Watson, who just signed his new contract with Cleveland, is the top cap number right now. Dak Prescott is two. Patrick Mahomes is the third biggest cap hit in the NFL, which is still pretty big, right? Uh, still a pretty big chunk of the cap right now. But if we were to, you know, simulate this out to 2026 and the current contracts that have been signed, remember this 2026 year is the first year that Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts and Justin Herbert's contracts will kick in. 
you have Patrick Mahomes now as the seventh highest paid quarterback in the league on that 12-year, $450 million deal that the Chiefs signed uh, back in 2020, right? Now, I'm sure at some point this contract will probably be reworked, renegotiated to give Patrick Mahomes a little bit more money. But you can just see the advantage to signing your quarterback early when, in reality, by 2026, when these new quarterback contracts kick in with Hertz and Herbert and Burrow, Patrick Mahomes is likely to be the 10th highest paid quarterback in the league, despite, you know, being considered the best quarterback in the league. So that's a positive difference that you just see right now. Um, And you pay him early, you give him as many years as possible, you give him as much money AAV up front as possible, and it still ends up paying off because these contracts end up looking like steals, right? There's so much talk about just giving a guy that kind of contract, but then when Russell Wilson's the next guy to get paid, when Kyler Murray's the next guy to get paid, Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, et cetera, as you see on this list, then that AAV number ends up not looking so bad, right? And eventually, you know, TV money kicks in. Eventually, all these things happen. And suddenly, the 50, 60 million that the Chargers will pay Justin Herbert in 2026 is kind of going to look like a drop in the bucket when the next guys after that are going to be getting 60, 70, 80 million, right? Quarterback salaries are only going to go up as the cap goes up. So that's, uh, you know, an important thing to mention here. So I think you want the longest possible deal for Justin Herbert, a la what Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs did a couple of years ago. And it makes team building easier, right? If you're operating on what I would say is a 12-year, 10-year window for Patrick Mahomes in this contract up till 2032, then you, you just kind of don't, you don't have a variable where it's like, oh, you know, is he going to hit free agency again at 30 years old? You know, what What are all the things that could happen there, right? You're building the team for the long term once you sign that guy at quarterback. Um, and I think that that's kind of an important thing to talk about. Uh, also, of course, when we, you know, talk about the quarterbacks, I've, I've mentioned it sometimes in this video, but obviously Herbert, Burrow, and Hertz are eligible for extensions. And there's kind of going to be a race to get those guys signed because as soon, you know, if Herbert is the last of those three guys to get paid, then, you know, his agent's going to be like, hey, Jalen Hurts got this, Joe Burrow got this, then Justin should get this, right? So obviously, you know, the the sooner you pay him, the more high AAV you give up front, and the more years you put on that contract benefits the Chargers in the long term, and obviously benefits Justin Herbert because it makes him a richer man. Um, but at the same time, I think that there's this, you know, uh, perception, I would say that like giving all that money up front is the bad deal, right. Or that paying your quarterback all that money up front just doesn't work sometimes. But if you want to avoid that Lamar situation, you want to get this team as be- as good as it could possibly possibly be for the long term, then you want to give Justin Herbert all that money up front, sort of like the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes and have this long-term plan. Um, and I think that the Chargers should look to what the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes um, you know, as, an, as evidence of what they should do sort of uh, going forward. And I, I guess by the time that they have to pay Justin Herbert and pay all these guys, you know, again, this is looking very much into the future, but it's one of the things that the Chargers can learn from this offseason by the time that new contract will kick in in 2026. Um, I do want to talk about this part of it. Uh, this was sort of my third bullet point, if you will. The the need for instant contributors in the draft. The one thing that the Chiefs and the Eagles do have done very well, particularly in recent draft classes, I would point to the Eagles' 2021 draft class, I would point to the Chiefs' 2022 draft class, is they have guys that are contributing right now at all levels of the draft. 
And you look at the Chargers drafts, and again, I'm not saying that they're bad. Obviously, when you look at draft classes, uh, you sort of have to think about it in the sense of like, okay, we, we can't just grade draft classes right now, you know, one year in, right? We do redrafts and stuff like that years down the road. But you just kind of look at these Chargers. I'll, I'll look at their last two draft classes in particular. You have Zion Johnson and Rashawn Slater in the first two rounds. Very good. Two guys that are instant contributors. I would also say that you have Asante Samuel uh, and Josh Palmer and Jamari Sollier, who are instant contributors out of those drafts. Aside from that, though, I mean, Otito got some snaps this year, obviously got injured. JT Woods and Isaiah Spiller effectively didn't see the field much at all. Jod Taylor kind of got in late, um, you know, with some injuries. He, he played a little bit more. They rested Bryce Callahan, the Broncos game. But um, Dean Leonard and Xander Horvath largely relegated to special teams. Xander Horvath popped a little bit early in the year, but then they didn't use him the rest of the year. So you look at this draft class, the Chargers got two immediate contributors in Zion and Jamari. Let's just grade it like that, right? And you look at this draft class, I would say with Palmer, Samuel, and Slater, now the Chargers probably have three instant contributors out of that group. Chris Rumpf, still kind of an edge four at this point behind Kyle Van Noy. We'll see what happens there. Trey McKitty hasn't really developed into the tight end. I think the Chargers thought he would be at one point. And, uh, you know, Larry Roundtree and Mark Webb both cut and are kind of future reserve players for the Chargers that they plan on bringing out the practice squad at, uh, you know, some points but really the chargers probably have five current contributors out of the last two draft classes in let's say uh, if you just add up the total amount of picks here you can do the math and say that that's you know eight plus four uh you you know you have about 17 picks between these two classes and the chargers have gotten four or five contributors compare that to the eagles 2021 draft class Right where they take Devonte Smith, Landon Dickerson, Milton Williams, Zach McPherson, uh, Kenneth Gainwell, Martin Marlon uh, Tuipilotu. These are all guys that are contributing for the Eagles right now. Right, they have five or six guys in this one draft class that are all contributing, um, and I, I think that that's a huge part of why the Eagles are where they are, and that's important as a team that's going to be against the cap, as a team that's going to have to pay Jalen Hurts. They have these guys that are contributing from their most recent, uh, you know, one of their most recent draft classes. They drafted Jordan Davis and Cam Jurgens and Kobe Dean. Uh, this year, right, Jordan Davis is obviously a factor right now. Cam Jurgens kind of depends on what they want to do with Kelsey going forward. But, like, they have a mix of instant contributors as well as guys that they maybe want to develop in some of the later rounds and guys that they've taken chances on. But... You know, if you can just say that, hey, you got six or seven guys, um, I, I would say really seven or eight guys that are contributing right now in the, these last two drafts, you're averaging three or four per draft. That's ultimately very good and kind of what you need to do as a team that's you know tight against the cap and a team that's going to pay their quarterback. Um, and I will also take a look at the Chiefs 2022 class. We talked about it on the show, but I thought the Chiefs had the best 2022 class in the AFC West back in August, and I think it's only played out to kind of be the same, right? If you have Trent McDuffie and Carl Loftus, who are obviously, you know, big contributors uh, in this Super Bowl run, um, you have Sky Moore, who has seen the field, you have Brian Cook, who's been able to see the field, and then in these later rounds, you have Jalen Watson and Isaiah Pacheco, who might be two of their most important players on the Super Bowl run. Obviously not something that the Chiefs maybe even predicted when they took those players, but to be able to say, 
that they have four or five players you know, from one draft class who are just instant contributors after Tyreek Hill leaves the team and there's all these questions, um, you know, as the Chargers are going to be tight against the cap space, and, and that's something that I'll, I'll talk about right now as well, you know, you just need to get more of those rookie contributors. This number on uh, over the cap is actually uh, also wrong, by the way. They actually are 23 million over the cap um, because this number needs to be updated to 224.8, if I'm correct. But all that aside, you know, being $23 million over the cap, yeah, you can restructure Joey Bosa and you can restructure Corey Lindsley and get that number down. But ultimately, like, the the real part or advantage of the draft that they're supposed to be from a team-building standpoint is you just have these cheap four-year contracts. And when you're only getting one or two instant contributors per draft class, it just makes being a big-money team that has all these highly-paid players kind of unsustainable. And especially when players get injured... Um, that that pops up more uh, like Joey Bosa obviously this year Keenan Allen and Mike Williams struggled with their their um, health throughout the season as well so um, yeah the Chargers I mean this is kind of a, a basic point which is they need to get more out of their draft classes but it's really a team building point um, and a draft point as well just that there have to be fewer project players and more players that can contribute instantly um, into the fold so that's kind of a telesco you know draft thing as well i guess to talk about um, and then the last point that i kind of want to bring up from my article rather than just the the financial need to to get these contributors and get surplus contract value is the trenches man um, you look at what the chiefs and eagles have been able to do from a trench standpoint and to me these are the best two teams arguably in that regard, um, there was a PFF ranking from entering week 18, which the Eagles were the number one offensive line and the Kansas City Chiefs were the number two offensive line. Uh, so you're talking about the two best offensive lines in the sport, um, in, in my opinion, or at least how they've played this year. And, and just watching the Eagles offense, watching the Chiefs offense, the Eagles offense is a whole new level in the run game of just opening up holes that guys are just able to run through. Um, I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime. And then you look at what the Chiefs have been able to do, and that's illustrated in the AFC Championship game where you see the protection that Joe Burrow got, the protection that Patrick Mahomes was able to get, um, and it kind of ended up being difference in that game. Um, so the way that these teams have rebuilt their offensive line is huge, and you sort of hope that the Chargers can emulate that. Um, if you're looking for where the Chargers are on this ranking, I believe they're 21st. Um you know, which is kind of fair, kind of not fair. Um, I, you know, obviously Filer regressed in a in a kind of big way this year. It, it, there was some shuffling around, and yeah, obviously the run blocking grade and how the Chargers processed. You know, we're we're a team in that way. Um, really dragged them back. Obviously having Rashawn Slater, having all those players, um, and not needing to do the reshuffling with Sally or like it probably would have helped them uh, in the long run in terms of being an offensive line, but. The Chargers most likely are, are running back, I would say, Slater. You have Salier probably at left guard replacing Filer, Lindsley, Johnson, and um, Pipkins if they do decide to re-sign him. So that'll move them up the rankings. But if they want to be a true trench team, we kind of have to see that unit coalesce into a real top five unit. And that's going to be a test for the Chargers in, in 2022 and one of the – or in 2023 and the, one of the big questions of their offseason is how do they get that offensive line to be up to snuff um I, I would say with the with the eagles and chiefs um if you look at them as the two you know big teams right now 
Um, because right now their offensive line just, even with Slater, is not at that level. And then I also pointed out the defensive side of the football. Um, you know, the Chiefs and Eagles are able to stop opposing run games. Chargers not able to do that um, at a particularly high level. And the Eagles and Chiefs have both gotten really good value out of their defensive lines. Obviously, the Eagles signing Hassan Reddick, getting Adama Kung Su and Linval Joseph on these, like, uh, you know, sort of micro deals. Of course, that's like jumping to join a contender and ring chase and all these things, something that the Chargers can't really quite do. But you have to make the offseason moves so that becomes a potential, a potential possibility in the regular season, right? Uh, and Kansas City, I mean, I was really impressed with their defensive line against the Bengals. Yes, you know, they're missing Jonah Williams and Alex Kappa, but still, Chris Jones is arguably the best defensive tackle in the league uh, behind Aaron Donald. Um, I think that's very much uh, an argument, and he's played like it in these playoffs. And even Frank Clark shows up for the playoffs uh, as well, even though he was kind of hit or miss in the regular season. But, yeah, you just see how these teams are built in the trenches. And, unfortunately, with Joey Bosa's injury, Sean Slater's injury, um, and, and some other factors on the offensive and defensive lines, the attrition that they've experienced, you just hope that they're better positioned next year uh, to be able to have a really good offensive line to protect Justin Herbert, get a run game going. Kellen Moore will help with that too by hopefully running to the correct side of the offensive line uh, as opposed to Joe Lombardi. So hopefully an improved offensive line gives them a chance and a new offensive coordinator gives them a chance to be creative. Um, so you hope that they have that offensive line edge uh, over some of the teams that they'll play on their schedule next year because it's it's not an easy schedule by any means. Uh, and yeah, so on the defensive side of the ball, defensive line, you hope that they make enough moves, even if they're kind of limited in terms of what they truly can do in the offseason, you hope that they make enough moves through the draft, um, you know, through free agency to be able to kind of uh, adjust and obviously getting Sebastian Joseph Day healthy, fully healthy, I should say, getting Austin Johnson back. Um, the, these are moves that, you know, uh, are, are not moves, but injury recoveries that should make a difference. Joey Bosa hopefully playing a full season uh, in terms of how the defensive line works. But, you know, just got to be able to run the ball and you got to be able to stop the run. And those are the two things that the Chargers couldn't do this year that really separate them from where the Chiefs are, where the Eagles are. Um, I would even say to where the Niners are right in the NFC championship game. Um, so, yeah, that's the Chargers just need to become uh, factually a better trench team. And uh, hopefully they can make it work this offseason, even though they sort of have limited resources to, to truly bolster the line past Slater and Bosa and some of these guys coming back from injury, which is obviously huge. Um, but let me know what you guys think in the comments down below. Drop your Super Bowl prediction if you have one. Uh, what do you think the Chargers have to do to become a contender and hopefully play in the 2024 edition of the Super Bowl, the, the 58th Super Bowl uh, in NFL history? We all want the Chargers to get there, but a couple things they have to do organizationally in 2023 to be a contender first. So leave a like, drop a comment down below, and see you guys on the next Bowl Breakdown.